Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America, wake up! The political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? Because it's not a matter of my liberation. It's also a matter of yours. If you're working, if we're working together, it's not because we're going to do something for the poor black people. We're going to do something for each other to save this really rather frightening world. Whatever our differences, we are fellow Americans. And please believe me when I say... No association has ever meant more to me than that. I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. In the town that I grew up in, if you had a a bad day, uh, you would just call your grandmother. But if you had a really, really terrible, awful day, you call your pastor. But as I grew up and I moved out into the bigger world, I actually stopped having a pastor. Unfortunately, I did not stop having bad days. I kept having bad days. And at this stage of my life, I'm just very grateful because somebody who has been sometimes called America's pastor, Bishop T.D. Jakes, has actually taken me under his wing. And so now whenever I'm going through something, I'm challenged by something, I just don't know what to do, I do have somebody I can call on. Bishop Jakes. And today, I want you to have the benefit of his wisdom. He is just a great role model for this Uncommon Ground community that we're trying to build. He's he's a living example of how one person can cross so many divides while still being true to themselves. Now, in a world where everybody, I think, is having a hard time communicating with people, especially people who think differently, who vote differently, who pray differently, Bishop Jakes is a -a one-of-a-kind presence in American life. He's an African-American evangelical minister who preaches at the Potter's House Church in Dallas, Texas. But what always strikes me is how his following includes all these different kind of people, different races, different classes, and he has this unbelievable superpower of somehow being able to communicate to the left and the right black, white, brown, right in the heart of Texas with this message of unity that's getting folks to act right, to treat each other right, to treat their family members right. It's just really extraordinary. Uh, I remember him back during the days of Hurricane Katrina when he really stood in the gap. He stood in the breach. He showed tremendous courage and took a lot of criticism for being willing to work with the Bush administration to get aid to folks in Louisiana after that hurricane. If there's anybody we need to hear from as we go on this journey to find uncommon ground and real solutions, it's Bishop Jakes. We're all going to have to work across lines of difference. And he's an example of somebody who does that without losing who he is in the process. If I had a role model for anybody who I want to be when I grow up, it's Bishop T.D. Jakes. And we're going to hear from Bishop T.D. Jakes right after this. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, 
Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. The reason I wanted to talk with you in particular, uh, Bishop, is, you know, when I think about the past, the present, and the future of people crossing lines, crossing barriers uh, for the greater good, you're at the top of my list. I think about, you know, during the the Bush administration, some of the courage that you showed, some of the uh, price you paid for that. I think about the work you're doing now uh, with criminal justice and other other issues, and I think about some of the challenges to come. So I wanted to just just ask you why you do what you do, how you do what you do, and what lessons you might have for the rest of us who are trying to do similar stuff. Some people think in terms of which side can I join, mm-hmm. and that for them is success because they seek belonging, and they identify with particular groups, and then pledge their allegiance to that group no matter where it goes. Mm-hmm. I'm used to playing in the middle uh, because I'm a pastor. <laughs> Right. So as a pastor, uh, you you go all the way back to husbands and wives having disputes, and they come to you with a dispute. They want to know which side is right. And generally, right is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> mm. But the ability to counsel people requires, one, that you're not judgmental, that you listen with an open ear to understand, to look for places of synergy. Not that we end up agreeing about everything, but on the things that we do agree about, that they are not casualties in a war for right. Mm -hmm. Uh, No side is going to be completely right about everything, Mm -hmm. but every side is right about something. And Mm -hmm. finding those those connection points are where I want to build a bridge, whether I'm counseling a couple or dealing with somebody politically that that I see different views from. I'm results-oriented. You mentioned Katrina. I had a relationship with then Governor Bush, had interacted with him and known him for a number of years. I have the ability to have a relationship with people without requiring that I agree with them about everything or that they agree with me about everything and still to hold on to the treasure of a relationship. I think relationships are your greatest resource. And so where there is a synergy point, you try to activate it. And and Katrina was one of those points where I deeply cared about it. And I cared about it, one, because it was a crisis. Two, because my people are from down there. My father's right. side of the family are from down there. And when I saw those people on the rooftops, they looked like my grandmother. They looked like my mother. 
I didn't care about winning a political war. I wanted them uh, safe and secure. And he had the power and he had the influence. And I went to meet with him at his request. I accepted reluctantly because I knew it would be a price to be paid because I know how people think linear. They don't think in circles. They think very lines are drawn. And I'm the type of person who thinks in circles. What can bring us together? And uh, I started talking, uh, having an oval conversation in a linear fight. The late Ophiel Dukes, a great PR, African-American PR person, told me years ago, he who stands in the middle of the road gets hit by both sides. Mm -hmm. I never forgot that. And I certainly, (laughs) if I I had forgotten it, Katrina helped me to remember it. Yeah, it's crazy because you know you, you remember you know Hurricane Katrina, this massive hurricane that basically drowns an American city. You have African Americans disproportionately not just uh, stuck in the Superdome without water, without food, babies screaming, you know, people dying, bodies just being you know uh, pushed to the corner. But you also had black grandmothers on rooftops with the entire community flooded, and I was losing my mind. Um, in fact, we launched something called colorofchange.org out of that catastrophe. Myself, uh, a guy named James Rucker, and a few other people trying to, to get something done. And then there was really only one African-American leader uh, who had the ear of the president, uh, George W. Bush, and that was you. And so you stepped up to the plate to try to help. Right. And that's when the fireworks started. <laughs> <laughs> no good deed goes unpunished. Exactly. Um, uh, at, the, at the point that I stepped into conversation with the then the President Bush, we were out of the dome. People were scattered into Houston and Dallas and all the Arkansas, as far flung as New York, living with relatives piled up on beds, on cots mm-hmm. on the floor with people who couldn't afford to take care of their people, but love them enough to bring them in and try to figure out how to do it. One of the things that I I think that I helped to influence was uh, some of the financial stipends that were given to people across the country who had taken into people because our government normally is not prepared for the the fallout shelter to be a residence. And uh, all I cared about was resolving the problem. And when you focus on resolving the problem, when people are caring caring more about which side of the line are you on, it's controversial. And the inability for federal government to work with state government, to work with municipal government, was on blast. What else came on blast was the fact that people who are in poverty don't have the option to evacuate quickly, may not own a car, don't have the resources to get out of town when when they gas and, and, and all of the things that went into it. And it was a crisis, not just of the flood, but of poverty. And we keep having this crisis over and over and over again as people of color in America that the poverty line exploits health maladies, exploits what we're dealing with now with COVID. There's an underbelly of crisis when there's not equity economically provided for citizens to have the same options as other people. Why didn't they leave? Everybody can't leave. In other words, you understand that just because the weatherman says get out of town doesn't mean you got a credit card and a functioning car to get out of town and get a hotel room. The weatherman doesn't give you that. <laughs> he just tells you to leave. Exactly. And, and so you've got people who are, who are literally stuck, you know, to the extent that we have this ideology of um, rugged individualism. Uh, everybody should, you know, be on their own. 
people were literally left to drown on their own. And so, you know, there you were trying to be a bridge. What were some of the most hurtful or, or painful things that were said or things that came at you just so, so people can understand kind of what, you know, what you faced. <laughs> Most uh, of them it, could not be repeated on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty vulgar. They were pretty mm-hmm. vicious. They were pretty nasty and they were pretty hurtful. And they were hurtful because, not because I'm so sensitive, but I think when the people you are trying to help misunderstand you and the yes, people sir. that you identify yourself with misunderstand you, their, their wounds are the deepest wounds. Yes, because you care so much about them and what they think and what they say. But I was able to swim to the top of the murkiness of the conversation and keep my eye on what was important. It, I think I made a difference, and that's all that matters. You know, you have some inner resources. Uh, you have a place that you can go inside yourself. And everybody doesn't have that yet. I think people are developing it now. I think people are developing. I think people are turning you know, more in a more spiritual direction and more faith-based direction because the world out here is so harsh. How do you keep your, your, your feet under you and keep marching forward? To know one's God is critical and to know oneself and to know that what people call you doesn't make you that. And I think one of our great problems is we think that everybody on our team should play the same role. You can't have a team full of quarterbacks, a team full of linebackers. You have to appreciate distinctions of roles and know when to do what. One of the things I thought that you touched on that I think is important, you said that I understood. The great thing about people who are mediators is to understand both sides. It's the same thing I do in counseling, to explain to the man what the woman is saying, explain to the woman what the man is saying, and see if we can get it. In all that getting, get an understanding. Because once we understand each other, we're really not that different. And uh, I don't want to sound too much like a preacher, but I am. Uh, (laughs) Jesus surrounded himself with people who, who knew who he was. And even as they were learning more and more about who he was, they knew he wasn't Beelzebub, though they called him that. They knew he wasn't a winebibber, though they called him that. You're going to get called everything, but Mm. you only have to respond to your name. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. 
fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. It's so good to hear what you're saying. You know, I, as you know, I went through a similar challenge with an even more controversial uh, Republican president, uh, President Trump. I had spent the last four years of the Obama administration, no longer a member of the administration, but still working closely with them on this idea of criminal justice reform and seeing a moment with Black Lives Matter and having an African-American president who really understood the need for real changes. And I also, because I work with Newt Gingrich, and we had a TV show together called Crossfire, I also knew that there were Republicans beginning to rethink criminal justice, beginning to rethink the price of prisons and the lack of any real redemption afterwards and, and just the, the assault on liberty that this massive prison complex represents. And I said, well, shoot, if the Democrats can fight harder for justice and the Republicans can fight harder for liberty, we might finally get some liberty and justice for all, including folks behind bars. So I felt I could do something. I'd worked on criminal justice issues my whole career. And it was under the Obama administration when I was working with the White House uh, that was welcome. Uh, even though I'm working with the Newt Gingrich, I'm working with the uh, Koch brothers, anybody who I could get to come to the table. But when Trump came in, obviously people were terrified of you know, what kind of president he was going to be and what he represented and where he could lead to in terms of loss of democracy, dictatorship. I mean, there was a lot of fear. And I had to make a decision myself. The 180,000 people in federal prison didn't get a chance to vote. When you're in prison, you can't vote. You can't march, you can't tweet. And if I have spent so much time going to the Obama White House pleading their case, now the new president and I won't go. Well, maybe it wasn't about the folks behind bars in the first place. Maybe it was about me and my ego and my access and, and all of that. And I, and I had a real crossroads moment. And I knew that Jared Kushner, had, his father had gone to jail and that he, he had a, a soft spot in his heart for the issue. And he was looking around for somebody to work with on the issue. And just like you, I said, I know too much. And, you know, so I said, look, you know, I told, I told you, I said, with you, I got 99 problems, but prisons ain't one. <laughs> Let's figure out some way to get something done. But um, it, it landed so badly with especially African-Americans. And, you know, we did get 20,000 people out of federal prison. I didn't say 20, I said 20,000. And 80 plus percent African-American in the first wave out, that's blacker than the federal prison population. And frankly, both political parties got stronger. But I got weaker because I just... The, the beating I took uh, really got to me. It, uh, it hurts. It really hurts. When people say things about you, they don't realize that you have a family and you have people that love you and you have people that are fighting for you and you have people who are scarred by that. And then you, you, you yourself are traumatized by it because it, it's frightening to be misunderstood. But I came to realize that what they're really afraid of is that you will sway people, your presence, like my presence at Katrina, they thought would, would, would somehow sway the vitriol. We have been trained to think about whose side are you on? And, and bridges never take sides. They, <laughs> they take the middle, you know. Mm -hmm. The sides yeah. will always be there, and the sides are important. Yeah. We need the sides. But the bridge, 
makes the impossible possible. It is the connecting point between the sides. So people who think on sides don't understand people who think like bridges. And yet we need the bridge to close the divide between the sides. There will always be sides. Yeah, That's what makes America great. But there ought to be inflection points where we touch and agree to be Americans above being Democrat or Republican, uh, above being black or white or rich or poor. We're human. So if somebody is sick or they had a death, it doesn't matter how much money they made, they hurt. It doesn't matter the color of their skin, they hurt. And if we could go back to being human and being American and just having some civility in the discourse, I love the discourse. The beauty is that we have a country that allows the discourse, but let us not throw everyone to the wolves just because occasionally on the, as you drive down the sides, you run into a bridge. You don't see a bridge every step of the way. <laughs> right. it's, we're just there every now and then at inflection points to make connections for purpose. And that's how I've lived my life. And uh, that's how you live your life. And, uh, and there are many others who think in that way. And I don't know what causes one to think linear and the other one to think in terms of bridges, but I'd, I'd like to think that God designed for the purpose and the role we're to play in life to, to have that distinction. And I think a bridge has to be strong enough not to break. And what strengthens us is those people who love us coming around us and saying, hey, man, I know who you are. I know who you are. I know what you were trying to do. I feel you. Yeah, no, it, it's it's so important. Part of the thing for me, me and my my heartbreak sometimes is just I feel like I'm the kid the community said that they wanted. In other words, my father was born in abject poverty in Orange Mound, Memphis, and you you know you know what that's all about. Uh, the Orange Mound, Memphis, <laughs> on Cable Street. My father grew up, but he he joined the military to get out of poverty. He he put himself through college, married the college president's daughter, my mother. So my dad was no joke. And then he put his little brother through college, my uncle Milton, he put a cousin through college. And pretty much everybody in my family who got out of poverty got out on this bridge called my father's back. And he was able to send his kid to you know public school with a minority scholarship. Ultimately, I went to Yale. And um, I think what we wanted was for brothers like him to get out of, the, out of the worst of poverty, send their kids to good schools and have those kids give back to the community. That's me. I'm that kid. <laughs> like, I'm Willie Jones' son. I'm Loretta Jones' son. I'm doing what I thought they wanted us to do. But I think the, the tragedy for me is that along the way, I have changed. Not that many people have worked in, in a White House. Not many people have had a guy come up from a rocket ship like Jeff Bezos and hand him $100 million for charity. Those experiences have changed me in the following way. My questions have not changed. I'm still trying to figure out how to help poor folk, black folk, the earth. Just my answers have changed as I've had more experiences. I've seen around more corners. I've looked behind different curtains. You want to be able to come home with that, with those insights and not be shut out at the door because, well, now you're different. All of us have an obligation to use our platform and our experiences, our education or our influence or our impact to, to try to make the world, leave the world better than how it was when we found it. Uh, the problem is you have a great head, but you also have a big heart. 
And a big heart is wonderful until somebody stabs you in it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, 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 you, then you hemorrhage out and, and we seek to be understood. But this is something that I think is important for you, for your listeners to contemplate. Dr. King wasn't popular when he was living. Hmm. His popularity, it, there were no bridges named after him. There were no schools named after him. He was controversial, even in the black community, even in the black church. If you, if you study it out, not all people embraced him in his lifetime. But to borrow Maya Angelou's words, still he rose. And, 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 and later, in retrospect, we love our heroes. In real time, they're always controversial. You know, in retrospect, Nelson Mandela became a great man and ended up the president of South Africa. In real time, he was an inmate. And, and if you can stand the real time vitriol, in retrospect, history grates us all. And fairly, <laughs> and fairly. And so I remind myself that it is childlike of me to want them to understand me in real time. Wow. Second thing is, it's never everybody that's hating on you. It's small. It's a small group with a lot of noise. Mm. And it sounds like the whole room hates you. When it's really 15 people over in the corner tweeting, you know, and, and then other people jump on the bandwagon. They don't really know what's going on. And 10 years from now, nobody will be talking about it at all. Right. But but the scar will remain because yes. you're, you're clay and you're pliable and it shapes uh, your tendency to, I, I don't want to rush into that building again because last <laughs> time I got burned alive. And so I, it takes a harder push to push me into that room because yeah, I know true. how hot it is to be in that situation. So I'm enjoying getting older because I'm praying for you young guys, you know, <laughs> as you run into those, into those hot places. I'm your intercessor. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think what, what you say is just very helpful in, in terms of we say, I know I say, I want to get in. It's not about me. I want to get in and help people. And then I think God will tell you, oh, really? It's not about you? Okay, well, we'll take this and take this and take this. You realize, no, actually, I do have some needs. You know, I do have some desires. I do want, you know, not glory, but an appreciation for the attempt. Even if I screw it up, even if I don't say it right, even if I come up short, even if I lose, even if I was foolish, just recognize I'm trying. And it's easier not to try. When I take my boys to uh, a sporting event, I have to remind them, uh, you got a lot of people in here wearing jerseys, a lot of people in here yelling and screaming, a lot of people with paint on their face and, and you know, super excited. 99.99% of these people are not on the court. They're wearing a jersey, but they're up in the stands. <laughs> Nobody's trying to block their shots. They're not having to take the final three-pointer attempt at the buzzer. They're just here. They're yelling. They're screaming, but they're super fans. They're not playing. And if you want to get out here and really play, it's a different. The whole arena looks different. Not only are they not playing, they couldn't play. And the one who is saying, you're an idiot. You know, you should have <laughs> run that ball. What's wrong with him? What are you thinking about? Has got a belly bigger than mine. <laughs> if, 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 you, if you tossed him the ball, he, he, he can't do it, but he can criticize the one who's doing it. Uh, you, you know, th that, that sort of yeah. thing helps you not to miss your moment because it's only a moment. 
You only have a moment, just a window of time that you have that influence and that power and the time is right and the message is right and you have the right contacts to make a difference. And and it's just a moment and you can't lose your moment over somebody who's eating hot dogs in the stands. Wow. Hey, listen, that's, that is very, very uh, helpful to me. And, and um, I just appreciate you. I, you know, I didn't ask uh, Jeff Bezos for a hundred million dollars, you know, as somebody who's been an activist my whole life, you know, 30 years, you know, building not-for-profit organizations, I know how to do an awful lot with very little, but I've never had a lot to do anything with. And so I, I said, what could we do that nobody would even dream to do or dare to do or know to do that has to arise in prayer, that has to arise in reflection and meditation, consultation with people like yourself. And it has to rise in leverage because $100 million sounds a lot sitting here. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the massive amount of needs, 40 million African-Americans in this country alone, not, yeah. to, mem- not to mention our Hispanic brethren and all of the different orientations of blackness and brownness and poverty amongst whites and, yeah. and Appalachian and, and various groups of people of all walks of life. And you, you break that down through that many people. What does it come down to? A dollar? Yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe maybe seventy eight cents. cents, you know. You know. Yeah. So so leveraging is important. And the second thing I don't think that God intends for any one man to solve everything, but if you solve something, if you fix something, it's like Oprah Winfrey building her school in South Africa. Everybody right. doesn't get to go, but if you fix something. Yeah, but those young, those one, those young women who go to that school, my goodness. You know, it's, it's incredible. And it wasn't an option before. And, and though there will still be poverty in South Africa and there will still be people, girls out gathering water and can't afford to go to school because they carry water for miles to make sure that, that the cows and the people have water, that's a reality. Yet she did something. And I think if you take the weight off of your shoulders of fixing the world and fix somebody and fix mm-hmm. some group of bodies and fix a few things. The The Bible said you've been faithful over a few things. Yes, I'll make you ruler over many. The, those things are so comforting to me because I realize that I will not be able to go as far as I can see, that I will see further than I will ever reach. But as long as I make the next step, even though the step doesn't take me to where I see, it took me closer than I was before I took it. The, the people that suffer the worst in the world are people who don't feel heard. And uh, whether it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or where you live or what you drive, if you don't feel heard, whether you're in a marriage and you don't feel heard, or whether you're a kid and you don't feel heard in a house, that creates pain. You know, now you know that somebody heard you. There are little boys and girls who who long to be heard. There are women and wives who long to be heard. There there are people in companies who long to be heard. There are husbands who long to be heard. And still they go to work every day and come home every day. But you you shed a glimmer of light that if you keep on through the pain, somebody will hear you. That that is called hope. And hope, hope keeps us alive. It keeps us alive. And uh, thank you for showing us hope. 
Oh, thank you, sir. I just, I, I just, I, I don't even have words to tell you how much I appreciate you. And, and you represent hope to literally tens of millions of people. And you do it with such beauty and such dignity and such profundity. And I just, I appreciate you very much. I love you very much. And, and let's keep fighting for hope. Love you. God bless you. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Yes, sir. We see the beauty of hope. That spirit is so beautiful. Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door. I think the thing I like the most about the conversation with Bishop Jakes is how he kept referring back to being like a marriage counselor. And I think America really needs a marriage counselor because we're literally at this place where we're just talking past each other, but we can't get divorced. Republicans can't divorce Democrats. Democrats can't divorce Republicans. We're all part of the same American family. So we're stuck with each other and we're stuck with each other no matter what we do. Even after these elections, you know, we get all excited about the, this election's coming. We're going to show these guys. Can't wait till Tuesday night. We're going to get a chance to vote. We get all ramped up and then we go vote on Tuesday night and then we wake up Wednesday morning and we're all still here. No matter who wins, the Republicans don't leave the country. The Democrats don't leave the country. We're all still stuck in the same house together and it happens every single time. So we need some help. And I love that Bishop Jakes has taken what he's learned in the smallest form, the most intimate form, a marriage between two people. He's been able to generalize that wisdom to his whole community and now to the whole country. And I think that pastoral care, as we get more and more secular, is something that we need more and more of. It it doesn't have to be somebody who's a, a preacher or a minister or a person of the cloth, but I do think that quality is very important, the perspective of helping people understand each other better. And I admire him because he talked about being a bridge builder. The bigger the spans get, the bigger the gaps become. You know, the more we polarize and, and pull away from each other, the more important it is to have bridges, but the harder it is to build bridges and the riskier it is to build bridges. So at a certain point, you actually need a real master architect to build a bridge. And there is no better master architect in American life right now than Bishop T.D. Jakes. So I hope that those of us who are in the Uncommon Ground community will just try to be more like him. I want us all to think about the roles that we play in our own lives, in our families, on our campuses, places of work, neighborhoods, you know, just our circle of friends. Can we do a better job of bridging even in our own lives? Is there an ongoing conflict or a misunderstanding or beef that maybe you could help to resolve? Could you add some compassion or understanding or listening or empathy to a situation that has just been stuck for too long in your own life. Now might be a good time to try to resolve it because, you know, as Bishop T.D. Jake said, not everybody can be a bridge builder, but you never know if you got the talent for it or the gift for it until you try. So I'm, I'm just begging you, try. Find some conflict and try to work it out because we sure need more bridges to be built in this country. Thank you. I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. 
is produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Sundu Hassan, and Adesawa Agbanile. Our managing producers are Lauren D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for the show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Moraes, and Chantel Muentes. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Taylor Williamson, Seven McDonald, Drew Schwindeman, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkneen, Vanessa Rebert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Lewy, and Chris Jackman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.